This episode is brought to you by Izzy Weight Design. Have you poured your heart and soul into your business but still struggled to capture the attention of your ideal client? Izzy Weight Design is here to help you make an impact by using bold branding that highlights your personality to create a powerful and effective brand and website that attracts your dream clients. Find out more about how you can elevate your business by going to izzyweight.com. Hey folks, Rush Wade here again with another wonderful episode of Rushing Through Life. And to join me once again are my two daughters. I'm Sadie. And I'm Izzy. Welcome to this week where we're going to be talking about Alaska. Um, I've never been to the frozen frontier. Nor <laughs> have I. Alaska. Nor is Sadie. Uh, but the Dad, final frontier. Oh, there we go. Um, but Dad, you spend some of your life there. so um, And it's come up a few different times in the podcast, so we want to hear all about it. It was kind of your dream of yours to go to Alaska, even when you were a kid, right? Yes, exactly. I was you know, always an avid hunter and, and fisherman. So, But, you know, that's the ultimate frontier is to go up there to do that. And it was always kind of one of my dreams. And uh, it all started back Probably, uh, well, grade school, maybe junior high, but uh, was always part of something I wanted to do. And then my dad thought I should go to the Air Force Academy. And yeah, I, I wouldn't mind flying some jets. <laughs> that was always a, a childhood dream too, watching the jets fly by and wishing you were sitting in that seat. So. Too bad your eyes don't work good like mine. <laughs> That's true. So after I found out that my dad had me an appointment already lined up with one of his buddies who was a congressman at the time. Whoa. And uh, then I found out in my junior year, I was colorblind, which a lot of people assumed all along. But of course, I passed that on to my daughters. <laughs> <laughs> so my options were, okay, what am I going to do now? Well, I looked in the, into the wildlife uh, program at the University of Alaska, and I set my sights on that. I figured, where else would you go to school up there and blend in? But uh, so along comes the ACT test. And dun, dun, dun. Not, <laughs> yeah, uh, you guys know, say to you particularly, you know how to dread it, but I didn't study either for it, so. Anyway. Yeah, I didn't dread it because I forgot that I was taking it that day and just winged it. I hate yeah. you. 29, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how quickly that number becomes irrelevant in your life. So true. Yeah. But at any rate, then uh, yeah, was going to go up there. And, uh, and lo and behold, I think I had, I think Alaska had like a, prerequisite of like 28 or 29 on your ACT. Mm. And lo and behold, I don't know, I had like a 27 or one right below the requirement. So, you know, chuck that one out the window too. So. <laughs> Are you claiming you got a 27 on the ACT? Yeah, I did. I did okay. I don't believe the 27. No offense. As well, would you get like a 23? <laughs> Well, you see, you can Google that, will you? <laughs> Good luck. 
Damn, so you didn't get you didn't get in to Alaska. No. So I did the next vexing and went to Mord State and flunked out within a quarter. So there you go. <laughs> and go listen to episode three if you want to hear that story. Actually episode one. But anyway, uh went to work in construction as I talked about earlier and and I wound up uh with this offer to go up to Sitka, Alaska and build a um, digester for a paper mill. Pause. Um, how old were you at this point? I was probably 20, well, 30, probably 36-ish. And this is before, no, well, that math doesn't not make sense. Pops. 36 is when you had, <laughs> no, I guess 40 is when you had me. That's right. Wait, so, so this is pre-Wanzik? Yes. And this is pre-Mom? Yes. You only went so, to Alaska like three years before you met Mom? Yeah. Oh, for some reason I thought it was like, I don't know, a long time before that. Well, I got through most of the college. I had everything done except that... Uh, that damn paper. That wonderful paper that we've talked about before, but um, but anyway. Wait, so, and also pause background. What was your dating history before you went to Alaska? Where you did you get the offer and you were just personal. like, you broke up with someone and moved on? No, I was in between at the time. <laughs> <laughs> wait, was this right after that girl that you proposed to said no? I never proposed to anybody other than your mother. Oh, I thought there was a girl that you almost. <laughs> I know. Why did we always think that? Did you have well, a ring? You had a ring, but you didn't actually propose yet, right? I never bought any ring. Oh. I never bought an engagement ring, not even for your mother. <laughs> you turd. <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyways, you're going to so Alaska. This, Let's stay so on this track is, here. This is in between relationships. <laughs> so you didn't have to break anyone's heart to go to Alaska. No, I just packed up my bag. Well, first I had to meet with the guy that offered me the job and give me the particulars before I accepted it. And we came to terms and he set me up there. And, you know, wasn't too hard to do because I've always dreamed of going up to Alaska. So when you got and, this uh, offer, hold on, pause. When this, you're rushing through the, the settings of this story, Jack. We're saying pause. <laughs> so when you got this offer and it like came to you, were you just like, holy crap, this is my chance to go to Alaska? Like, come on, there's got, there had to have been some emotions there. Tell us about it. Oh, yeah, certainly was. <laughs> I hoped I could hold my composure when I was negotiating a wage with this guy. You were so excited. <laughs> yeah, but. You know, I, I, I failed to mention that one of my roommates at the time, Roscoe, he was working on the pipeline up there. And he'd be up there for uh, three months or whatever it was, and he'd be home for a month, and he'd be back up there for three months. And he he lived with me for those three years in that period. He was going back and forth. So Is this he, Roscoe you know, of the famous sausage seasoning blend? <laughs> yeah, the one and only Roscoe. Okay, wait, the this leg, whole time the legs, what? <laughs> continue. Sorry. Anyway. No, continue what you're saying to Sadie. What? <laughs> Sorry. So anyway, this whole time your roommate was going up and back and forth from Alaska and you were just like, man, you're living my dream, dude. 
like was that what it was like inside your head well i was living my dream too because i had started my own construction company and i was uh, doing yeah. fairly well to start with and so i was living my dream sure one of my i have a lot of dreams <laughs> yeah. matter of fact having two beautiful daughters was a dream Aww. <laughs> <laughs> but uh at any rate you know i always wanted to go to alaska so this job comes along and actually uh our terms were pretty favorable for me so and then i kind of couldn't refuse and so i pack up my bags and uh head down the road and uh had to get on drive the pickup to vancouver and get on a ferry and go north on the ferry to a little town called sitka alaska and uh, I got got off, got my pickup, and drove over to the big uh, paper mill plant, and stopped at the guard check. And the guy says, "Where are you going?" I said, "Well, going in here for a meeting. I, I'm going to be building a facility here." He says, "You're not going to be building any facility here with a beard." <laughs> I went, "What do you mean?" He says, "He says uh, we can't be in this on these." in this facility with a beard. Whoa. I said, I said this is Alaska. <laughs> he kind of chuckled. He says, well, you have to be able to wear this full face mask for for uh, any kind of uh, gaseous coming out of this facility, which was known to sprue deadly chemical gas at times, I guess, which I found out later Damn. was true. But anyway, so I had to go back to town. It was like 10 miles. The only road on the island is 10 miles out to this place, this plant. Anyway, I call up this guy that hired me and I said, do you know they want me to shave before I go in there? And he kind of was he on around and he was kind of chuckling. <laughs> and I said, you son of a bitch. You knew that, didn't you? <laughs> you said <laughs> that? Yeah. Yeah. He says, well, you'd have never went if I'd have told you to shave. Oh, my gosh. And I, I said, yeah, that might have been the one that broke the... Wait, legitimately, back. do you think that would have paused you from going? Yeah, probably not, but I had to give him a little, well, a little steady. Of course it would have. The only other time he shaved his beard is when his work buddies raised enough money. It was, too. From... High school. You had a beard so, in high school? It was pretty scraggly, but yeah. <laughs> Wait, but your senior pictures that I've seen, you didn't have a beard in? Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Well, that's what I was just going to explain. That was the one time I did shave because I had to be in a wedding for Dave Yegi. And I went to, I went and went to the barbershop in Breckenridge and he and it was a friend of my dad's, Ted Beekler, who was a barber. And he did the whole hot towel wrap around your face and all that stuff and made up the lather and, and took out his old shaving blade. And he'd go back and forth on the, on the leather. And I'm just going, hmm, is, is this really important I'm in this wedding? Uh, wait, that's a really, like, otherwise you had a beard in high school? Well, I mean, you've scary. seen high schooler beards. Like, they have hair, but I wouldn't call it a beard. Like, 
Right, right, right. Hey, we had I a couple was... kids in our class that had a straight up. Well, beard. yeah, we had, we had a kid in ninth grade that had a beard, great beard. But... <laughs> great beard. <laughs> I always remember my first day of 10th grade, which is like the first actual grade in the high school in West Fargo, or it was. And I was in the advanced math class, which meant that there were some seniors in my math class. And the first thing we did was get paired up to do some like get to know you thing. And I got paired with a senior that had a beard and I was like 14 and I was like, what is happening? That was such an irrelevant, not helpful story to this plot. <laughs> I'll just go back to not saying anything on this podcast. I'm just kidding. Oh my God. We were talking about high schoolers and beards. It was what do you mean that's not relevant? You're not relevant. <laughs> hey. It's going to yell at us. Once upon a time. <laughs> all right where do we want to start <laughs> so anyway you the guy told you you had to shave your beard okay so i went and bought the damn shave, shaving cream and a razor and went to a convenience store uh, bathroom like you see in the movies and i shaved no way <laughs> oh you know, probably clogged so the I, sink. So I get in this plant and have the meeting and I was just, just there before the crew and stuff and had a meeting with the plant people and stuff and went through things and, and laid out a game plan and a schedule and everything and, and everything was fine with the great people to work with and it was quite a quite an adventure but it just you know, it was, it was exciting to be in Alaska, and, and at one point I went, after that, then I had to go find some housing for the crew, and I found two different trailer parks, or trailers, in the trailer parks along the ocean, and I got one that could sleep seven, and one that could sleep eight, and then I took care of the, the basic crew, but then there's others that were coming and going, but. You guys you know. all, like, buddied up, like, camp? Yeah, yeah. Well, I had the master bedroom in the in the one end. And I had a big walk-in closet, and a friend of mine uh, worked for for us. Uh, I'd known him long before that job. Uh, he he took over the walk-in closet as his bedroom. No way. <laughs> yeah, he put a little single bed in there, and it was just fine. That's a big closet. Yeah, um, it was in a trailer house. Get you. But anyway, so you get there and people started coming, equipment started coming. And uh, let's see, this was probably September when we started. Or, uh, yeah, first of September. But anyway, we just started to be fall up there. And, and uh, the one day I got, the first day I got there, it was actually a, not a bad day. It didn't even rain. But boy, after that. It rained uh, five days out of six, six days out of seven. You know, it's been rained and rained and rained and rained. And one of the first things we had to do is build a shelter just so the crew could hang up their rain gear. We put heaters in there so blast the heat in there and dry out their rain gear. So they could have another two sets they could put change at noon. And boy, it was rain. I mean, you talk about rain. 
anyway, we, you know, we got going and pouring a lot of concrete and we're pouring concrete every day for these foundations and things and get a beautiful blue day and one day there's no concrete. I call it the, the ready mix place, the one ready mix place on the island. And uh, they just said, you know, you probably won't get any, any ready mix today. Well, I said, why is that? He said, well, you weren't on the nice day list. And we have a nice day list for people that can't shelter and cover their concrete. They have to pour out in the open when, when it isn't raining. And he says, it's been raining for a long time, so the list is pretty long. But it looks like rain tomorrow, so you should be back on schedule, he told me. <laughs> but, so you were a uh, day behind, it, but since it rained, then you then you caught back up? Yep. And it is. I mean, we had to build shelters on everything we did. And it was just rain. And you think of, why? Why do you want to even, why would they want to live here? I mean, it just rained after rain after rain. If you take the, the amount of rainfall in Seattle and double it, you got Sitka, Alaska. And it, and it just cloudy, yeah. but every once in a while it would open up and a beautiful blue skies. I could see this mountain up behind me and, and, uh, it was beautiful. But one of the first things we did when we got there, we met this guy that worked at the mill and he had this boat and we said we wanted to go duck hunt. So he borrowed us his boat and he said, just follow the shore and go to your, to your north here and go tuck yourself in one of those bays. You'll get some duck shooting. So we get get back in there. I think there was three of us. We get back in there and up there. <laughs> you know, I dove in the Caribbean at the ocean and things like that. And, mm-hmm. and tide in those areas doesn't really do a whole lot. When you get up in Alaska, the tide can easily vary 20 feet. <laughs> and, and sometimes wow. it goes up to 30, I guess. But unbelievable. And it, and it just comes in fast. It goes out fast. And, Anyway, we pulled a boat ashore and we go in and and uh, threw it. You know, we threw an anchor out. Thought we were safe. And we went in and walking along this creek and seeing these big old paws, from big old bear, and they looked pretty fresh. Then we get walk along and then there's a a big salmon that was half eaten, still flopping. And we, we knew they had to be a bear pretty close. Which half did they eat? Damn. <laughs> <laughs> they ate the head. But I they, we must have disturbed, disturbed them because they just dropped it and walked away. But anyway, so we just kind of looked at each other and said, ah, let's, let's get back closer to the boat. So we get back to the boat. And here's the boat. Like 100 yards off shore. Because <laughs> this tide had come in. Oh, and, no. uh, wait! I thought you said the tides weren't relevant here. No, they weren't relevant in the in the middle of the in world, Florida. the equator area. Oh, in Florida. I see. But you get up in Alaska, and like I said, they could be twenty feet plus. Yeah, that's a lot, a lot of water. And luckily, <laughs> one of the guys volunteered to go out and grab. It. We could see the anchor rope floating. <laughs> And he went out there, he went up to his jet or his waist and he got the rope and pulled the boat in. But, you know, otherwise, we had to wait 12 hours for the tide to go up. Yes. But it was uh, interesting. You, you don't, 
you don't even think of that kind of stuff if you're not from there. Yeah. But that tide in is pretty amazing. It's just like a river coming in, river going out, and it goes fast. I mean, you just sit there on a rock, and half an hour later, you'd be over your head. Yeah, that's weird. Tides, like, just, like, don't make sense to me in my brain. You do understand all the work, though, right? Well, yes, but, like... <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it's like like you said in North Dakota we don't ever have them, and so um, like, that's I really have funny. Very little experience with them. Haven't you seen uh, that those tracks in a in a plowed field sometimes where they're just straight parallel line? Yeah, that's from the moon pulling rocks across our prairie. Oh, those lines! I thought you meant like <laughs> tractor lines. Wait, what? I'm just joking. Oh. <laughs> we we don't have tides here. We don't even we don't even got the moon pull on anything. It is kind of cool though. When I was in um we were in Washington, we were in the most northwest corner of the continental US and the tide there is like it's insane and that's not even all the way yeah. up in Alaska, so I can't even imagine what it's like farther north. Yeah. But anyway, we Started to get used to the climate and and things, and job wasn't going too bad. <clears throat> and we had to come winter and have lights almost all day long, except we had lights off for two hours. Otherwise, it was dark in the winter. And in the summer, you had to put black plastic on your bedroom window so you could sleep. That would be but, so weird. I don't think I would do well with that. Like. I need it. I need the sun and the darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is strange. It. I mean, it, and you think about it. You know, I think people are more irritable in the dark times. Oh yeah. You know, it, yeah, but, absolutely. You know. No vitamin D. That's how I am even here in the winter. <laughs> so I made the guys take off all their all their gear and stand out in the sun for an hour each day at lunchtime. What? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> what the heck? You're a goober tonight. Any, anyway, here we are on an island. Oh my gosh. There's not a whole lot to do but uh, go to the bar. And uh, so me and another guy, Spike, my roommate, the guy lived in my closet. <laughs> sounds we weird bought. when you say it like that. <laughs> we, we, bought, we bought this 27-foot uh, fiberglass boat. It was fully, the guy sold it fully equipped with everything we could possibly need. It sleep for, it, it had a cooking stove, it had a furnace, it had a lifeboat, it had a generator, it had all the fishing rods, it had everything. It was just perfect setup for us. So we started going fishing uh, pretty much, you know, after, after uh, work on, we usually work till Saturday and noon. Worked uh, all week long and then took half a day on Saturday. And then you had to have a few few days and a few hours in there somewhere to wash your clothes and things. So but uh it was it was interesting. We bought that boat and we throw out some crab pots and catch some some crabs and catch some halibut and we catch halibut and salmon and lingcod and and uh, we just had a good time fishing. And, you know, we did it all winter and the locals don't venture out there much in the winter, but it didn't seem to bother us 
from North Dakota. At least it wasn't frozen like our lakes. But, uh, you know, it's funny. You look on shore, there is no snow. But you follow the mountain and you get up 100 feet off the off the sea level and it's snow. It's like two feet of snow right now. Like there's a wall that starts and it just goes up from there. So they right. the temperatures up there were were you know below freezing and and a couple times while i was there through the winter the snow actually stuck on the ground and accumulated a couple inches but then by the next day the temperature would be a little bit warmer than rain and just melt it all but pretty amazing country and uh, you know we'd go out fishing and and you'd see uh, humpback whales and killer whales and they'd come right by the boat there was just no big deal to them and pretty amazing. And one thing I learned too, because of all of the tides, you have to start learning uh, your charts of where you know where where you can go at certain. And you'd look at the, the the tide chart to see what level the tide would be at at a certain hour. So if you're cruising through this area, you wouldn't hit a sunken island or a rock pile or something. So you you had to be a pretty attuned. And that was at that time it didn't the GPSs were just barely coming into play. So all you had is your compass and dead reckoning, and you had a depth finder that would occasionally give you a reading, but by that time it would be too late. But there's no Alaskan Tides app. No what? Alaskan Tides app. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Ew, boy. No. But it. Yeah, it was fun for a year. I was up there and, and you know, all our materials, that's one thing I learned about, you know, working in a place like that with no freight, no nothing other than you had to rely on everything coming on a barge out of Seattle. And it was a three-week process from the time you thought you needed a nut, nut or bolt. You had to get on that barge. It was three weeks before oh, it got to you. Gosh, that's some intense forethought you've got to have. Well, and then especially that I found out later that the people that did the, the construction takeoff didn't do a very good job. And we were constantly, they were doing the ordering back there. Most most stuff came out of Fargo, North Dakota. Really? It was, yeah. And it came on a rail to Seattle and it got on the barge and, and came up that way. But wow. the, the things like, you know, pipe fittings and bells and things like that. The miscellaneous things that came from different vendors and the bolts and things were always short. Well, a lot of times we'd have to end up having to air freight something in too. And back then, I would cost the Herman Lake for air freighting. You have to truck down to the airport and meet the plane coming in to get a box of fittings so you could keep going. And it was one thing after another up there and it was kind of like an experiment that I don't think anybody ever uh, really you know really knew how it was going to function up there I mean, it's just like take a bunch of guys and we'll send you the we'll send you all the equipment to put the puzzle together you know, it, it was it was interesting I learned a, a really a lot on how to you know, organized guys get guys motivated, you know, with the extreme conditions and things like that uh, and kept them going. And, and and how did you do that? Well, you got to gain their trust. Beer. 
No, no, there's too many of them to give them all beer. I could buy the, the, the a few, but wait, you were in charge of this crew. I was what? You were you were like the leader of this crew. <laughs> I was the leader of the whole thing. Oh, did you know any of your crew members? Was was Roscoe on this crew, or he was just separately in Alaska? He was separately in Alaska. Um, you know, there was, I knew, I knew probably a dozen of them that I'd recruited to come along. So, so how did you, a, um, earn their trust? Well, it, <laughs> it just takes time and, you know, you gotta be honest with them and, and you gotta be fair with them and you gotta set uh, goals that are reachable and you got to let them buy into the goals and if they're not motivated to achieve the same goals you're after it's a struggle but you gotta you gotta somehow get them to buy into your game plan and and go from there it's, wow. it's to me it's all about uh, developing a relationship with people and being honest up front and not hiding things from them and you know they're they're in it too. And, and a lot of them are up there to make the dollar so they can support their family. Um, so they don't need a lot of extra bullshit like this. This isn't going to happen or this doesn't going to work this way or, you know, just do it anyway. That's not a good thing to say. Just do it anyway. Like I tell you guys. <laughs> but how come you use that on us then? Well, that's the only way I can intimidate you guys. Oh, jeepers. Um, so really a lot of your time in Alaska was um, fishing, drinking, and building things. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, that's the trouble. You know, we're, we're working uh, 60, 70 hour weeks. Yeah. And, you know, and, and then you get a basically a day and a half to mess around and sometimes we didn't go out fishing on Saturday because he had laundry to do or he had to do this and then we'd go out Sunday morning come back Sunday evening and and start the week over again but uh, what about holidays were you out there for Thanksgiving and Christmas I came home on on Christmas that's the only time I oh, came home did. in that year yeah yeah and Taco was living in the house my house and <laughs> taking care of the dog Oh, Taco had your dog? You don't have a dog in Alaska? No. Were you so sad? Uh, he was in good hands with Taco. Were there other dogs that you got to pet while you were in Alaska? No. I didn't. <laughs> there, there wasn't. Uh, actually. No dogs? There, there, was, there was a few dogs, but. <laughs> there, you know, the. They always used to say that. Notice there's no small dogs around town. I, yeah, I come to think of it, I've never seen a small dog. He says, well, that's because the eagles grab them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. There, and there's so many eagles, it's unbelievable. In the winter, they wintered in Sitka. And this is no kidding. They come down to the boat, and there'd be anywhere from half a dozen to a dozen bald eagles sitting on the rail of my boat, shitting all over everything. <laughs> That's crazy. Oh and you had to take the broom and chase them off the boat. <laughs> and then you'd have to hose your boat down before it could go anywhere. But they're just, 
they're just pests. I mean, there's just hundreds of them in this bay in this in this marina. They're just sat in everybody's boat, made themselves mm-hmm. at home. But it, it it's it's the neat wilderness, and, and it, it just it was an experience of a lifetime. I even got to go out on a fishing boat. Wow. The the owner of one of the few bars I went to <laughs> owned a owned a fishing boat, and his son was running it. So this is when I was getting done pretty close to the end of the job. I went with Maud on what's called a long line, went out for cod. And we went out and they unreal, you know, two, three miles of, of line with a hook every, I don't know, 10 feet or whatever, and a bait on it. And we went in and it soaked for, you know, eight to 10 hours. Then they come back, start pulling it in and they get all these fish on it. And they, we did that for three days and, we're full. Isn't that kind of more just like trapping rather than fishing? Well, it's it, well, it doesn't matter if it's a net or a hook. I mean, this was a hook, but you know that's another thing. They had this uh, this uh, herring roll that came into this one bay in, at Sitka, just outside of town, and it was such a big thing. It was, and it, and it was millions and millions of dollars worth of herring that. That these these boats come from there was there was like ten boats that had a license to take the herring out of this certain area, and the last time one had sold, it sold for several million dollars just for this permit. And but they sit there and they come to town about two weeks before the season, and they start getting their nets ready. They're sitting there because the Alaska Game and Fish sits there and monitors how many herring are going up the creek to reproduce, and after they get a certain quota. They start what's called a 24-hour signal, which gives everybody a warning that in 24 hours, they're going to open up the season. So when this thing goes off, it's like the noon siren in some small town. I guess thing just blasted and went on and on, and it was just like, okay. And everybody is just in a panic. I couldn't believe it. People running and doing things and getting everything and, and, uh, then it came down to the, you know, they gave another warning. I don't know if it was 12 hours or six hours, but then they gave the final hour warning and all these boats are out in these certain areas and they're, and they're staking out their little area and then they're getting ready to throw out. As soon as the signal comes, they start throwing out these nets and going in circles and they're fighting with each other and bumping in each other. And, and we were, could see it up on the hill on the side could see this whole thing was just pretty amazing and i don't i still don't know if they do that but I mean, it's incredible incredible to watch wow yeah. yeah so we finished up the project or we got close to the end of the project and uh i ended up selling the boat back to the the guy i bought it from <laughs> for for a thousand dollars less than than uh paid for it which to me thousand dollars for all the time and and things we got to do with it and and so forth was well worth a thousand dollars because the one time we rented a charter it was a thousand dollars for four of us for the day (laughs) so we figured a thousand dollars is pretty good we had a great time it was a good experience and and i'd always wanted to have a boat in the ocean and that was my my bucket list and 
Did that. Wow. And then when I when I came back to Fargo, I was I was I would have been I was cash heavy, but then I had <laughs> to pay back some loans for going to school, and I did that. But I still had that that dreaded paper to do to get that diploma. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> my gosh wait so i don't know if you already said this what how long were you in alaska like when did you leave and when did you come back 11 and a half months okay not the full year you couldn't make it another two weeks uh, i actually stretched it out a couple weeks after that oh <laughs> why'd you stretch it out well like i wanted to go out and have boat with that guy and mm. and there was there were some things that I had to we're trying to get this digester to to acclimate itself to eating up all these bugs and producing methane. So every time we turn around and get things going, then the plant would dump some new chemical in there and start killing them. And that went back and forth for almost six weeks to two months or so forth. So and I you know, I I was just helping this this guy from AC Biotechnics that had, they had the copyright or patents and rights to this, this uh, type of digester. So I, I was assisting him with a few guys left. I had about six guys on hand yet. Wait, are we talking about eating. real bugs? Oh yeah, that's what's in these big, it's like in your lagoon outside of town. Those are bugs that eat up and break down the components of your sewage. <laughs> But you can take these, what we, how we, you know, the reactors that I put in, in the American crystal plants before I went up to Alaska, there are these big tanks you see at the crystal plants. Mm-hmm. And it's, and it's, what they do is they fill it full of water to start with. And then they bring in a sludge from an existing reactor. They're, they're called reactors once they start producing. But, but what they do is they bring in these, these bugs and these bugs can be acclimated to eat any chemical just about out there. If you slowly graduate, I mean, bring it on slow and, and grow the culture to modify or mutants to whatever to eat, the, eat up and it, eat these things and then produce methane gas, the byproduct, which got piped down to the big boiler in the plant. So it was, you know, this is 30 some years ago, which there is pretty interesting that they were recapturing methane like that. It's almost like a renewable, you know, they're picking up this byproduct after digesting, but you could, but anyway. Well, 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 don't say anyway, I need to wrap my mind around that. You basically building big tanks that you had to basically take kombucha sludge, put it in there, grow this bug slash bacteria that would eat this stuff and make gas. And that's what you were spending a year building in Alaska. Well, that's pretty close. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's kind of like a sourdough starter. Yeah. It what? Is. Exactly. Yeah. It is yeah. the same thing. But what was interesting, it, it, we were sitting there, we were fighting, trying to get it going. And, and the, the chemist kept saying, we got to get the temperature, you know, Five more degrees, and then the bugs will start reproducing. What the heck? So then, I don't know who whose brainstorm this was, but it actually worked. But we took and put, you know, they were steel tanks, and it, and it was getting cold, and it would be, you know, in the 
down to 30 at night and up day it'd be up in 40s but anyway somebody said well they can get this this cement or this you know this kind of glue cement that'll stick to that and it outside these steel tanks were kind of rusty and and uh wet down you know and he said well, we got this kind of cement you can smear on here and stick this this uh foam rubber on there so it was the same thing as foam rubber that's in a, a wetsuit's made out of what so took, like took neoprene big, yeah you know and they were like well maybe three eighths of an inch like my winter dive suit it was about that thick anyway these guys came up from you know somewhere i can't remember where they came from but a crew of people and stuff came up and they on both these big tanks, there were three million gallon tanks apiece. We had two of them, and in between, you got all the pump houses and the moving equipment, and all this stuff, and other filters and porters and pumps. So it's not just a lot more than just these two tanks. But anyway, these guys come up and they smear this this thing on there, and, and uh, by by God, they brought the temperature up about ten degrees in the tank. Well, that's what insulation will do, I guess. I guess and that's all it took. Everybody laughed. That didn't be enough. What, what can that do? And there's one chemist, he, some engineers. No, I, I think I think that'll do it. And okay, you, hold up. So not only did you build giant kombucha bug tanks, then you made a giant can koozie to go on the outside to keep it warm. Whoa, that's a great way to explain it. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> wow, Dad. I, I said, hey, I'm going to use that in my story from now on. Okay. <laughs> Listen, I knew that you poured cement. I knew you built houses. I knew you built wind turbines. This was a plot twist. Honestly, I never paused to ask what you were building in Alaska, but giant bug tanks wasn't what I thought. For some reason, I always well, thought you were well, doing here, like here. oil rigs or something in Alaska. Me too. No. Well, I mean, bug tanks. Here's the thing: is I I was after after I went back to college, then I started doing more industrial plant type work. I built and I was bidding actually water treatment plants, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I got into the knowledge of all these things, work and equipment and so forth, and how to install them and things like that. So I'd faded out of the house building. The next time I got into house building, I was building this house. But hmm. that's a whole other story. <laughs> but well, anyway, what you know in, in these what they are is they're called anaerobic digest or digesters that they have it, you know, it's what's American Crystal put in to to uh, eliminate ninety percent of the smell of the of the beet plants, which used to have to, uh, you know, a really obnoxious smell that, you know, this city of Morehead, the city of Kirkson, the city of Grand Forks, they were all bitching. They wanted crystal sugar to close down these plants. And they came up with this uh, deal. And I was associated with this contractor that was building them. And I did, I did a lot of their work for them. So I was very knowledgeable of the process and what needed to be done. So that's, that's how I got my name in a hat. Whoa. Um, I have a new question. So wait, okay. I knew that you worked at a paper thing. That's the extent of my knowledge. I knew that you did something with paper up in Alaska, but for some reason, my mind always thought you were making paper. 
your factory didn't oh, make paper. The factory made the paper. Oh. We were make we were making a facility to handle their wastewater. Oh. Well, that's interesting. Well, it's very interesting because it's and, and their water, they had this reservoir up in the mountain. It was about a mile away up in the mountain. This reservoir and the water was gin clear. Gin clear? And, gin clear? <laughs> okay, vodka clear. <laughs> oh, man. You guys would relate to that more. <laughs> but, but, uh, and it, and it made, and they made, uh, it was owned by a Japanese corporation, and it made some of the best photographic paper in the world. And they had the market on it, and they were making paper to beat the band, and and uh, so they they wanted this plant to to be able to keep getting bigger and bigger, and that's why they and they wanted the, this wastewater treatment facility. So the EPA, of course, the EPA came down on them, and that's kind of what. Uh, instigated them putting in these, this new process, which uh, was interesting because there was a $3 million penalty not being completed on time, which they didn't give me knowledge about until three months till, before we were supposed to be done, which may or may not have made a difference in how I approached it, but uh, it was it was pretty close. Well, I mean, the fact is that we didn't get the, the culture going and uh, eventually we got the culture going and all and then we then we started pushing the product over to the other you know there was two tanks so we pushed the product over the other tank and started building up that culture and after after he had the cultures going in both tanks then uh, i was free to go so uh, this guy calls me about a month later and he says, you won't believe it. He says, somebody turned the wrong valve in the plant. No, your giant kombucha died. All of them. <gasps> so both tanks got died oh, and they no. had to haul in, had haul in three semi loads of sludge from a plant reservoir in, in, uh, in Seattle. So no. And bring up three and start all or took them another year to get the plot going. You had yeah, to at least everything scoop. was like built. Yeah, but you got you got to slowly make these what they call acclimating these these microorganisms, the scoobies, to digest certain amount of acids and certain amount of this and that. Mm -hmm. And you can get them to digest anything if you culture them and let them gradually work into that's their food source. And somehow they digest it and they break it down into to where it's pretty much water. And then the byproduct uh, is methane gas. Pretty amazing. And that there was, even on a one tank, we only had one tank recapturing the gas when I left. And, and it was a huge amount of, uh, when we had to flare it going, man, it was like Western North Dakota. We lit up half the island. <laughs> That's well, not crazy. Half, not that... half the island, but it lit up quite a bit of the plant. So. Yikes. Well, that's a big oops. Mm. Yeah, it was it was interesting. There's a you know, of course there's a few other stories in between there along the way, but <laughs> yeah. so yeah, was... 
do you have so what are your like major takeaways from Alaska? You know, you know, we went up there with visions of the food was going to be high price and everything was going to be outrageous. And we actually, in one of the trailers, we packed, a, well, I don't know, 10, 20 cases of beer. I can't remember. <laughs> and and some, some canned goods and things. And, you know, there was space in between equipment and stuff. And we had semis coming on a Fargo all the time. And uh, get up there and you find out, well, shit. Same price we paid for it in Fargo. <laughs> so you hauled and, it and all out there and you didn't need to. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and the groceries were maybe a little bit more, but it wasn't like we thought. I don't, you know, maybe because Sitka is one of the closer parts of Alaska to Seattle. It isn't quite as extensive, but if you, you know, this. He used to say, you know, from Sitka, it's about the same distance to Nome, Alaska, as it was to Fargo. Really? So that gives you a clue on how big Alaska really is. Yeah, Alaska is huge. Yeah. And anyway, it was a hell of an experience. I mean, I learned a lot uh, and got that out of my system, I guess you could say. I, I wouldn't mind going back today, you know, and just visit to the old neighborhood and you know, maybe go up Mount McKinley up in that way and do a little turn. Well, your mom and I are kind of toying with the idea of just uh, driving up there next summer. Yeah, you should. What else well, you guys, guys should do, do an Alaskan cruise. I feel like you guys would love that. Well, I've talked to a lot of people and these big cruises with thousands of people on there. Mm. It's not for your mom, right? Because it just didn't grandma and Bev people. do one of those. Yeah, and I, I think I think Grandma <laughs> probably feels the same way we did. She just, you know, she doesn't like a lot of people either. And I mean, I guess you, you wait in line for every food, every meal. You wait in line to get off the boat. You wait in line to get on the boat. You know, everything is wait in line when there's that many people. So we just thought, and we talked to these good friend of ours, the Erdmans, they drive up. They've been up, driven up there a couple, twice now, I think, with their camper. And he says it takes about a month to drive up there and and spend a week or so and then turn around and come back. And we thought, I mean, I'm kind of looking into getting one of these vans that, you know, we can comfortably sleep in. Well, I'm finding out it'd be better just to rent one for a month. It'd be cheaper in the long run. You should just buy one. And just and just go up there and try it. So it's kind of on our our maybe our maybe list for next summer. Hey, I know well, where you what can would get be... a really cheap mini school bus, and you can turn it into a camper. Well, as soon as you buy that, bring it around. I'll see what I can do. Well, okay. what would be your advice for anyone going to travel to Alaska? I'd say uh, jump on it. I mean, it's it's the last frontier. It's uh, you know, you can watch things like, uh, you know, the Alaskan Gold Rush with Parker and, and Tony and the crew, and, and you get a, yeah, a first-hand look at at the Alaska, but, you know, then the, the mountain men and the guys that are up there, and then the, all these real, real reality shows with these guys on there, you know, and I think that's part of it, but I think it's a lot more isolation up there for people than... than 
you know, people can think, some people think, oh, geez, would it be neat to go homestead up there and live out there and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it takes a certain kind of person that wants to be that isolated for that long. And yeah, if that's your, it's your thing, do it. But the beauty of the, the all-out wilderness, the, the vastness of it, everything is truly amazing. So I would say at the very least, everybody should go up and look at it. I mean, and, and yeah, your, your big cruise boats are probably the best way for 90% of the people. Uh, and you get up there and you can get a handle for it. You can go on the, the uh, excursions off the boat and so forth and see things. But uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't trade that experience for not even another daughter. <laughs> what about a grandbaby? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> A two-legged one. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Well, we do have uh, two anonymously asked questions. And if you guys are listening, you can submit a question for some rush weight advice at rushingthroughlife.com. All right, Dad, we're running out of time, so you have to make these kind of quick answers. Can you do that? I'll try. (laughs) Okay. First. Dear Rush, I've always admired you and Cindy's relationship. You seem to just make things work. What's your advice for someone trying to make a marriage work? Be in love. (laughs) Aw, that's cute. You said short and sweet. (laughs) That's short and sweet. All right. Alrighty, next question. (laughs) Okay, you want to elaborate like two more sentences? Well, I don't know. You've got to be able to uh, compromise. I mean, you both got different needs and wants, but you got somewhere in between. Uh, have uh, have some of the same things, same things to share, and uh, it's 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 a balance. Hmm. Okay, that was good. All right, this one I'm not kidding. It's in here. Dear Rush, can Izzy clean a fish? No. <laughs> Did Bobby submit that? I feel like that's something Bobby would submit. No, nah, he's never listened to a single episode of this podcast. <laughs> no, I don't know who asked that, but no, I can't. Nobody yeah, I honestly don't think Sadie can. Yeah, I could because first you go by the head and you go down and then you go along the spine and then you flip it over and then you go between the meat and the skin. Okay, theoretically, people, I have seen it done many of times. If it was like life or death, I could do it. I know I know the instructions in my head, but would I want to ever? No. Okay, also, there's a lot of things we could do if it was life or death. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Okay, well, we know where you stand. That's good to know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> All right, well, people, that's a wrap on this week's episode of Rushing Through Life. Remember, folks, life's too short to rush through it. So cheers to travel, uh, adventures of a lifetime, and still holding on to your dreams if they get canceled the first time around. Booyah. Um, Remember, you can submit a question to rushingthroughlife.com and follow us on Instagram at rushingthroughlife. Deuces. Just kidding. There you go. Bye. Bye. Bye.